Ukrainian leadership has been shaken up as President Volodymyr Zelensky removed his top general, Valery Zeluzhny, which has been marked as the largest shift in command since Russia's full-scale invasion in 2022. This has come at a time of high tensions as Russian attacks have intensified and Ukraine is grappling with the failed counteroffensive that took place last year. The interest of many has been piqued as questions arise regarding Ukraine's future success in the war. That brings us to our own questions of how we got here and where we may be heading next. From Seton Hall University, this is The Global Current. I'm your host, Trisha Ballion. With me today are two fellow Seton Hall students. Covering the domestic situation today is our analyst, Nev Walker. Hi, Nev. Hi. And focusing on the international aspect is George Slowey. Hey, George. Hello. So before we get too far into the topic at hand, I want to turn to you, Nev, and just ask if you could give us a brief recap of the events regarding the war between Russia and Ukraine since we last spoke in the past few months. Yeah, so the war in Ukraine has seen its share of struggles in recent months, with Ukrainian forces facing challenges in the counteroffensive and increasing vulnerability to Russian attacks. There seems to be a give and take situation where Ukraine will gain the upper hand or territory in a certain area just to lose more territory in another area. Along with this, Ukraine is facing war fatigue and Western military and financial support has become uncertain. For example, the United States, which is Ukraine's biggest supporter at the moment, has been debating about whether we need to send more aid or not, which further complicates the war if Ukraine does not have the resources it needs to fight back. But what's particularly intriguing right now is the recent shakeup in leadership because of the dismissal of Zeluzhny and the hiring of the new military commander-in-chief, Sersky. Mm-hmm. And so now that we kind of have some context looking at the events of the war in the past few months, I know that there's been some rumors circulating about Zeluzhny's dismissal since January, why it was happening, kind of rumors about the tensions happening there. Could you tell us more about those rumors? Yeah, so the rumors that were surrounding Zeluchny's d- dismissal started circulating in January, which already adds another layer of complexity to an already nuanced situation. The relationship between President Zelensky and Zeluchny has been strained, mainly due to strategic differences and also with Zeluchny's rising popularity. The tensions really came to a head, though, um, when Zeluchny wrote an op-ed uh, claiming that Ukraine was in a stalemate at the moment, uh, which Zelensky did not like. The reason for the new leadership, though, on paper is because Zelensky believes that there needs to be new personnel and new strategy within the Ukrainian military. Mm-hmm. I know you were just diving into the relationship between Zelensky and Zelensky. Could you tell us more about those tensions and why they might be coming up? Yeah, so Zelensky recently has become popular politically, which Zelensky sees as a threat. So Zelensky has been a general since the start of the full-scale invasion and has had many victories, which the public seems to like. It's also rumored that the tensions between the politician and military personnel is not even regarding strategic differences at all, like they claim, but with Zelensky seeing him as a political rival. And apparently the week he was replaced, Zelensky did have a conversation with Zelensky with the purpose of him resigning, which 
he refused and caused Zelensky to forcibly replace him. Despite this, though, Zelensky and Zelensky have both released statements about the decision and how there's no bad blood between them. Mm-hmm. Definitely a complex situation um, looking at the context of this whole event. And now I want to turn to you, Georgia, to round out some more of our background information and ask, why would such a shift occur? Why now in the middle of a war in a very tumultuous time for Ukraine are we seeing this drastic shift in leadership? Well, certainly with it being nearly two years into this full-scale invasion, there's a lot of speculation over why might this have taken place. There is a, this is very rare for something to happen. If you look at other examples of this, certainly during the Second World War for multiple nations, you know, Russia, Nazi Germany at the time, the United States, the UK even, there was not a change of general staff such like this. Certainly there were generals who came in and generals who left, but not such a prominent change. This is expected to impact Ukraine's success in a positive way. At least that's the way that Zelensky is certainly putting it, which makes sense given that he's the one who asked the change be made. And Zelensky only released a very short and small statement regarding Sersky becoming the commanding general simply stating that it was time for a changeover and a fresh perspective on the matter. Mm -hmm. And we'll definitely get into Sersky himself and then more of the details about this shift um, and what that implications might be with the new personnel coming in. But now I want to switch back to you, Nev, um, and ask a little bit more, who is Valery Zeluzhny? What are we looking at him? Give us some background about him and his role in Ukraine. Yeah, so turning our attention to Zeluchny, he has served as the commander-in-chief of the Ukrainian armed soldiers. He served this role from July 2021 to February 2024, which means he's been the commander-in-chief when the full-scale invasion happened and throughout almost two years since. Uh, he's played a pivotal role in the defense of Kiev, and with reclamation of the territory in 2023, he's actually earned the title from um, the people as the hero of Ukraine. That being said, his inability to have a successful counteroffense this past June has marred his victories in the eyes of Zelensky. The dichotomy between Zelensky's successes and challenges faced by Ukrainian forces contributes to a complex narrative. Furthermore, the clash over different strategies and Zelensky's push for military expansion, while deemed necessary by some, has faced political hurdles, which is further leading to tensions with President Zelensky. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so how have we seen Zelensky kind of appearing to the people of Ukraine in ways that like honoring him, things of that nature? What is what is that general context around him as a person? Yeah, so he's definitely been seen as very popular among the people. As I said, he is deemed like the hero of Ukraine. So with that title, he's also faced a lot of attention from specific like groups of people. So for example, after the liberation of the southern city of Kherson, there's actually a portrait of Zelensky that was spray painted on walls um, of him smiling and flashing a peace sign. Under these paintings was the slogan, God and Zelensky are with us, which definitely furthers um, his popularity and just demonstrates how much he's loved by the people of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And can you dive in a little bit more about what the effect has been of the failed counteroffensive on his record? 
Yeah, so the failure of the counter-offensive definitely did play a hindrance on Zelensky's confidence in his military strategic ability. That being said, he has remained popular among the public. So it's there's basically two schools of thought here, whether he should you know stay in power uh, because of the popularity he has with the people, or if we should trust the president's decision because of the strategic military differences. Mm -hmm. And on that note, could you tell us more regarding the possible tensions between him and Zelensky? I know that's something you mentioned in the background information, but can you dive in more about that for us to to get to know more of? Yeah, so the relationship between Zelensky and Zelensky has been multifaceted. Tensions have arose on several fronts, the first being strategic differences. Zelensky, especially after the failure of the counteroffensive, has characterized the war as if it was in a stalemate, which is a term that Zelensky found negative, and he viewed it as if Zelensky is encroaching onto his political territory. This ideological difference um, has laid the groundwork for more profound tensions. And another crucial factor is the stark contrast in public trust. Recent polls have indicated that over 90% of the public have placed their trust in Zelensky, which is significantly higher than Zelensky, who only had 77%. So such a significant gap can undoubtedly create strain between the two people, especially when it seems now, because they're in a war, military popularity seems to overshadow political leadership. Mm-hmm. And with that note, what is the relationship between the political versus military agenda we're seeing in Ukraine right now? Yeah, so the dynamic between the two leaders are further complicated by political and military agendas at play. Uh, Zelensky's um, success in defending Kiev and reclaiming territory in 2022 elevated his status and popularity, which has turned him into a potential political threat to Zelensky. So this now blurs the lines between military strategy and political maneuvering and replacing. So Zelensky's decision to replace uh, Zelensky Although it is seen as a good political move, um, it's still up in the air whether this was a good military move. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll definitely be able to look at that more as it develops and over the course of the um, continued war with Russia, how that is going to affect their uh, military success. So have there been any contentions with policies proposed by Zeluzhny as we're kind of getting into this world of blurring political and military policies and agendas? Yeah, so um, moving on to policies, there's definitely a lot of contention surrounding Zelensky's proposals, which again, Zelensky has seen that as encroaching into his political sphere. So the new conscription law that Zelensky proposed was to create a um, military expansion and put more of an emphasis on the military and his power in the military. Zelensky has adopted a more hands-off approach Um, or attitude regarding this law, which greatly differs from what Zelensky wants. And because of these differences regarding the specific policy, it definitely adds another layer of complexity to their already intricate relationship. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And now I want to turn to you, George, and get a little bit more information on who is going to be replacing Zelensky. We threw around the name Alexander Sirsky. Could you give us some more background on him and just more general information on who he is as a person and as a military leader? Certainly. So, as you mentioned, the replacement for Zeluzhny is Alexander Sursky. It's important to note that he is older 
then Zeluzhny. Zeluzhny is about 50, Sersky is quickly approaching 60. And while that may not seem terribly significant, it's worth noting that Sersky is one of the few remaining general staff on either the Ukrainian or Russian side who spent significant time in the Soviet armed forces, which seems generations away to us now, but is still fresh in the minds of many people in Ukraine and Russia and other post-Soviet states. He is Russian. He is not ethnically Ukrainian. He was raised in Russia. His parents still lived there. Russian was his first language, and yet after the fall of the Soviet Union, he chose to live in Ukraine and has now risen as of February 2024, as Nev mentioned, to the head of all Ukrainian armed forces. Mm -hmm. And so how has he become a very significant figure for Ukraine? Why should we um, be focusing on him? What might we know him from? Well, he rose to significance within Ukraine and abroad for his command of Bakhmut. Bakhmut was, as we have seen many, many times in the past two years, a very crucial city that was utterly decimated during the course of the war. It became sort of a flashpoint for a lot of the broader conflict. And during that time here in the title, Butcher of Bakhmut, among some for what they perceived to be more ancient tactics, more Soviet-style, more sort of, you know, World War II-era mm -hmm. tactics. He also had a very large role in the September 2022 offensive. That was the offensive, if you'll recall, where a great majority of Ukraine's gains during this war occurred, where in the northern regions of Ukraine, the Ukrainian army swept through claiming, reclaiming, I should say, massive tracts of land. So he has been viewed as the architect of this, and he has certainly made no moves to dissuade that notion as it helps to give him some sort of credibility compared to someone like Zeluzhny who has massive support and massive credibility within Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And you mentioning the massive support of Zeluzhny kind of brings me into my next question of, does his popularity in any way rival Zeluzhny's, both with the public and with the soldiers he's going to be commanding? Um, what's the relationship there? Well, as Nev mentioned, Zeluzhny has been polling at nearly 85 to 90% popularity. There are not such polls for Sersky yet, because not many knew that he would become the next commanding general of the Ukrainian armed forces. However, with somebody polling at nearly 90%, it's hard to imagine that Sersky would be matching that level. In particular, that would come from, again, his tactics. Um, this has turned off a lot of international spectators and a lot of people within Ukraine, indeed, because they see them as being more old school, and, and in part due to his age and in part due to his experience with being an artillery officer. They see that this could be a step back unless it has massively good results like Zeluzhny has had. Mm -hmm. um, just to add on, I think it's very important that we focus on his history. So, for example, Sersky, as you mentioned, was born and raised in Soviet Russia. And um, although he did join the military and stayed in Ukraine after this fall of the Soviet Union, critics have even described Sersky as still very Soviet thinking, which definitely plays into his military style as well as affects his popularity among the public and with also soldiers as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's very true. Um, he has been educated amongst a lot of his contemporaries on the Russian side of this war, obviously. He shares a lot of the same fighting styles, whereas Zeluzhny might have been sort of the next or the first, I suppose, post-Soviet generation of commanders and generals. Sersky is still very much that well, a trained Soviet officer, even though now fighting and apparently doing quite well for Ukraine, there is a lot of feeling that 
maybe Zelensky did this to sort of fight fire with fire and looking at Russia's gains and Russia's movements and saying, well, I have to find the person who has the most Russian, you know, tactical sense in my camp. And perhaps that was not Zelensky, who was more forward or modern thinking. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely a really interesting point to kind of look at and perspective to take regarding this issue, especially in a country that is actually fighting against Russia, who was a very big force when it came to the Soviet Union and their occupation of different republics, um, particularly the relationship with Ukraine. So I want to move on to my next question re- regarding Sirsky's relationship uh, with Zelensky and how it might have differed from Zeluzhny's. Um, could you tell us about that? Well, Zeluzhny, I think it would be fair to say, is much more of a political animal than Sirsky is. Whether or not Zeluzhny has political ambitions at this moment is inconsequential. He is a general right now, first and foremost. But whereas, you know, you might see something of uh, former President General Eisenhower in Zeluzhny in that he has both the ability to be a politician in some matters and a general in some matters, you see that Sersky is much more military-minded. There doesn't seem to be any political ambitions. There doesn't even seem to be any political thoughts. It seems that Sersky is simply focused on fighting and being a general. And for somebody like Zelensky, who is a wartime president, and knows that elections may be coming up soon, perhaps it's not the greatest to have a general with such political ambitions or political ideals, you know, winning these wars for you. And we that that's a skeptical take on it, but it is a realist take where you have to look at it and you have to mm-hmm. say, well, if I have somebody who is doing all these wartime gains and is getting his face painted on streets and graffiti and there's this wide, massively widespread support for him, you know, as a politician, how does that affect me? Mm-hmm. I mean, it absolutely is an important thing to consider, especially like you've said, during a time of war, where a lot of political tension could be running very high. And I know as of recent, there has been scandals in Ukraine regarding corruption. I know it's something that uh, Zelensky has been very adamant on stamping out and really cracking down on. So I could see why any sort of, you know, murmuring of political rivalry or unrest might um, spook him, I guess one could say, into a decision such as this. Now I want to move back to you, Nev, and ask a little bit more about the implications and significance of this move and the shift in leadership. So how can we expect this decision to impact the trajectory of the war happening? Yeah, so the decision to replace military leadership, particularly uh, the removal of someone as popular as uh, Zluchny, does carry several potential implications for the trajectory of the war. One immediate concern um, is the impact of morale. As we've mentioned multiple times, this is a military leader and figure that is having his face painted on walls because of how much he is loved. So with him being replaced, it will definitely become a deterrent for morale of the people. Zelensky, he is a celebrated military personnel. Like he had a success in the beginning of the war. He had a successful uh, defense of Kiev and continued that with further successes. That being said, the counteroffense in June was not as successful as it could have been. So there's this really give or take situation where um, on one hand, he is very celebrated and on the other hand, he does have his failures. Mm-hmm. And so could you build a little bit more on what it might mean for Ukraine to pursue a more quote-unquote Soviet-style military strategy? I know we touched on this earlier regarding Thirdsky, and I wanted to get a little bit more information from you too, Nev, about that. 
Yeah, so first I'm gonna explain what it means to have a Soviet-style military uh, strategy. So the Soviet military doctrine was characterized by having centralized control along with a large standing forces and a focus on mass mobilization. So during the Cold War, the Soviet Union maintained a strategy of forward defense, emphasizing the protection of its borders and projecting power beyond them, including assimilation of other socialists and neighboring states. So this involved maintaining a large, well-equipped standing army capable of responding rapidly to perceived threats. Uh, What this means for Ukraine is that the idea of pursuing a more Soviet-style military strategy would require a translation from the historical use of this style to the new contemporary landscape that we see today and because of the need to adapt to current issues. Um, So, for example, Ukraine is not trying to encroach into other states' land like the Soviet Union did. It is currently trying to just defend its territory. It could also be predicted that this might entail an emphasis on a larger military, including a focus on you know territorial defense, or even go as far as creating a centralized command structure. That being said, this is obviously mainly a prediction of where the military style can go direction-wise, especially with this new commander-in-chief growing up in the Soviet Union and even studying in Moscow and has been labeled as very Soviet thinking by the public. Would you like to jump in and add anything about that, George, regarding the you know history of Soviet-style military strategy and how that might be impacting Ukraine today? Certainly. Well, as Nev said, uh, there is a lot to talk about with mass mobilization. And obviously, the Russia of today is quite adept at that, having so many men to pull from. The, the main foreseeable problem with Ukraine adapting a Soviet-style military complex is that they may simply not have the manpower to do so. With that being said, there are of course some benefits. A big part of the Soviet-style military doctrine is to have a large emphasis on artillery. The United States has certainly donated a lot of artillery, as have states in the European Union and from elsewhere. And since Sersky is an artillery officer, it could also be seen that part of this shift is to say, well, we have all this artillery and mechanical equipment we ought to have an officer in charge who has experience with this and that idea of having the artillery be sort of the main driving force of a military offensive is very Soviet, mm-hmm. certainly. And I'm sure we'll be able to keep an eye on this as it further develops and we see the implementation of what people are coining the Soviet-style military strategy. And I want to turn to you now one more time for another question. Could this be a point of concern for other former Soviet Union states to see? I know that you know, just the idea of Soviet style and, you know, the word Soviet can definitely be a bit of a buzzer word um, when we're discussing Eastern Europe and the history um, deeply entrenched with the Soviet Union. What might be the response from other states to this? Yeah, so I definitely see having a more Soviet-style military strategy in Ukraine could be a point of concern for former Soviet Union states. So yeah, I could definitely see how the adoption of a Soviet-style military strategy by Ukraine could indeed be a point of concern for other former Soviet Union states. These nations, having emerged from the Soviet legacy, may view such a move with a cautious eye. The potential resurgence of a strategy reminiscent of the Soviet area might evoke memories of historical tensions in power dynamics um, within the region. I think it was George that mentioned earlier, like fighting fire with fire, because, you know, Russia has definitely 
have an emphasis on more Soviet-style speaking because of the importance they had in the Soviet Union. It could be seen as Ukraine also adopting that style as um, kind of two Soviet states in a way against each other, which could further impact Western support and Western aid to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And just with the final few minutes we have to wrap up, I want to turn to you, George, and ask a final question. Between this and the corruption scandal earlier um, in January we saw regarding the embezzlement of military funds in Ukraine, do you think that Ukraine's image on the international stage may be changing? Well, I think that in the short, in the very short statement that Zelensky released talking about Sersky becoming commander-in-chief, he said that a refresh was needed for Ukraine. And when he's talking about a refresh, I don't think that just comes in from the military side. I think that, as you said, that with the corruption scandal earlier this year, he's realizing that there does need to be sort of a refresh and update of Ukraine's image on the world stage. And they have to show that they are, you know, projecting a new image, projecting just, you know, sort of a newness in all aspects and that they're tackling corruption, that they're ensuring more modernization and streamlining of the military, and that on the whole, the image that Ukraine portrays on the international stage is not one of being fatigued by nearly two years of constant war, but as one that is still, you know, new and still has fight and is still able to make these new changes and move forward. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So unfortunately, that's all the time we have left for today. This has been a really great discussion. Um, Nev, George, thank you both so much for coming on and joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yep, thank you. Joining me now to round out some other headlines this week is our news briefer, Nadia Chernoff. Hey, Nadia. Hey, Trish. So what headlines do you have for us this week? We have controversial former military general claims victory in Indonesia's presidential election. We have a detained Venezuelan activist, and Greece legalizes same-sex marriage, and we have Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny dies in prison. Lots of interesting stories to cover today. Let's start with the news for the election in Indonesia. Indonesia's former defense minister, Pravol Subianto, claimed victory in Indonesia's presidential election, citing unofficial results that have not been verified by election officials. Subianto has never held elected office and is an ex-army general. He was disarmably discharged in 1998 after the special force unit he commanded kidnapped and tortured 22 political opponents of Suharto, who was Indonesia's dictator at the time. With his link to human rights abuses, questions about his commitment to democratic values arise from activist groups. That's definitely an important event we'll be keeping an eye on. And what about the Venezuelan activist? Yes. Rocio San Miguel, a lawyer, human rights activist, and vocal critic of Venezuelan President Nicolas Maderno and his government was arrested February 9th with her family and she has not been heard from since. This is a result of her not being allowed to have a lawyer. The arrest included five of her family members, including her daughter and ex-husband. According to the Prosecutor General, San Miguel appeared before a tribunal and was charged with, quote, treason, conspiracy, terrorism, end quote. This follows the government's accusation that San Miguel was part of a plot to kill the president. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights urged for San Miguel's immediate release and respect for her right to legal defense. That's definitely a very interesting and concerning turn of events. Can you tell us more about the news from Greece? On February 15th, Greece became the first Christian Orthodox majority country to legalize same-sex marriage and rule that same-sex couples can adopt children. The bill passed overwhelmingly with a vote of 176 to 76 in the parliament. The measure is not supported by the Orthodox Church, which has started to hold protests in Athens. Greece is now the first Southeastern European country to legalize same-sex marriage and allow same-sex couples to adopt. What an exciting development. And our last story? According to the Russian prison agency, Alexei Navalny, 
a Russian lawyer and opposition leader critical of the Kremlin, died on February 16th in the Arctic penal colony where he was serving his 19-year prison sentence. Navalny was 47 years old. This news comes out less than a month before Russia's presidential election. People have been detained for small acts of protest in response to Navalny's death. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken expressed condolences to Navalny's family and commended the work he has done. Thank you very much for coming on, Nadia. That is all the time we have for today. Be sure to follow The Global Current on Instagram and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming shows. This show would not have been possible without our dedicated crew, executive producer Bobby Kyle, uh, associate producers Kasia Kostraba and Juliana Mori, technical producers Ashley Skladani and Amelia Vincichinsky, and of course your host, Trisha Ballion. The Global Current is brought to you by Seton Hall University. As always, keep it current with us and catch us on the waves every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. at 89.5 FM WSOU. Until next time, thanks, y'all.